Construction Big Breakfast, where we give you a hearty serving of insider tips and business strategies to help fuel your day so you can thrive in the construction industry. Now, here's your host, Tip Top Tim Fitch. And hi, welcome to the next episode, or the current episode of the Construction Big Breakfast with me, Tip Top Tim Fitch. And this week, we've got uh, some new faces. To my left is Ben Pritchard. Say hello, Ben. Hi guys, good morning. Ben is uh, one of our tip-top team here at Invent. And on my right is Richard Graham. Good morning, delighted to be here. So uh, this week is another one in our series with, of podcasts which have got a bit of a Canadian theme to them. And we'll get into why uh, Richard's sat here in just a minute. Of course, the first question is, Ben, what did you have for breakfast? I was, I was quite naughty. Today, I only had a banana and an Actimel. A I know banana it's and an <laughs> I know, it's disgraceful behaviour. Shocking. <laughs> Absolutely shocking. It was shocking. Shouldn't have better yeah. on today of all days. Richard. Well, my house is a building site at the moment, so I think I grabbed a slice of toast as I took the children to school before coming up to meet you. So, right now. Well, I have to say, this is really... <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, I'm almost lost for words. Uh, anyway, for, for our viewers, I had a kipper this morning. I've had quite a good week of it because on uh, Monday and Tuesday I was up in Scotland. So Monday I caught a big breakfast at the airport, uh, courtesy of British Airways. But on Tuesday morning we're at this country hotel and of course had a massive Scottish breakfast which included things you don't often get down in, the, in London. Haggis and a potato scone. And if you want to see what that looks like, check it out on Facebook. I did see it. I wasn't <laughs> sure. I mean, it also looked like it was cooked in gravy. Yeah, it was, no, that was the night before. Oh, right. Uh, okay. I had a haggis stack. Ah, before, right, okay. So you had haggis twice. That's brave. Yeah, we, when you're only there once a week. <laughs> and actually, when we come on to culture, in, uh, in Canada, there's something called poutine, which is basically, as far as I can make out, chips with just about anything else you can throw on top of it. So normally it's chips with gravy. I've seen it with and quite cheese a few curds, other things. Cheese curds. Cheese curds. Cheese curds. So it, was a, it was a breakfast option. So we were in Canada last week, and sort of in and amongst all the various different types of eggs you can have, there was a breakfast poutine. Neither of us were quite brave enough to... Um, no. To, to see what a breakfast gravy poutine was, yeah. we thought, no, we'll stay well clear of that. <laughs> anyway, now, although breakfast is obviously very important, that's not the only reason that we uh, asked uh, Richard to come and see us, because Richard's a friend of mine, we've known each other all a decade, perhaps. Yeah, 20 years, actually. Or <laughs> Time flies, you see. Yes. Uh, we both met really through the rail industry in the UK. Yes. Um, which was one of my things about 10 years ago. Uh, but more recently, uh, as our viewers will know, we, we are, as Ben alluded to, we're, we're in Canada regularly because we're a Canadian business. And I bumped into you again in Canada. You did, and I, I had a couple of uh, odd. Uh, Toronto, although it's a big city, it's quite easy to bump into people. So I, I bumped into an ex-work colleague of mine just walking through the centre of Toronto quite randomly. And uh, it's very nice to meet people, but you realise just how many people are out there right now and what a booming place it is to do business. So I was lucky enough just over a year ago to get asked to go out and work for a year with Metrolinx, which I've literally just finished. 
and in the course of that time I bumped into Tim and that's been not only a good chance to uh, reacquaint ourselves with uh, some past because we haven't necessarily done business in the recent past but also to uh, share some time together whilst I was out there in what was a very busy year. Yep, that's great. That's exactly how it all happened. And there's some interesting stuff that I hope we can cover today. Yeah. Um, something to do with what it's like working in uh, Canada, particularly Toronto. But let's, let's just start with uh, what you were over there to do, what your role was with Metrolinx, yes. and maybe what Metrolinx actually does. Yes, and, I, and I think that would be good because Metrolinx, um, whilst it is a household name in Toronto, it's possibly the equivalent of TFL, so it's the regional transport operator. It runs all the transportation in the Greater Toronto and Hamilton area, which is called the Golden Horse Show, and it moved from Niagara all the way around the northern coast of Ontario, covering, I haven't checked the, the stats, but it's a pretty big distance. Canada, it's, it's a tourism to say, is a huge country, so even the Toronto Greater Area, you're talking hundreds of kilometres and hundreds of square kilometres in terms of area. So it's a big operation, and it's operating in unique environmental conditions. Temperature in winter uh, can drop to minus 30. In summer, it gets as high as 30 degrees. So for any railway uh, enthusiasts out there, temperature stressing and rail uh, in those kind of temperature conditions is pretty intense. And just trying to keep uh, an active city of three or four million people going, plus all the conurbations, takes a lot of work. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that we've we've come to recognise whilst we've been out there is that compared with London in particular, the whole of the UK, the temperature variations are enormous. I mean, not even just seasonally. I mean, when we were out there in January, it went from when we got off the plane, walked out the airport, it was minus 27, and we both thought we might go back on the plane straight away. <laughs> but then by the uh, the Thursday of the week, it was up to about three degrees. Yes. It was yeah. it was unbelievable. It just the, the differential in the week, never mind, as you say, the seasonal change. So, so just going out there as somebody from the UK, and the way the opportunity came up late last year was they were looking for somebody to help go and manage their sponsorship, so I ended up helping a team of people manage a $6 billion early, early works investment on a program that's live at the moment. And uh, I kind of ended up going around October, November time, and in the UK that's still pretty good got out there and realised actually how little I know about Canada. So I guess one of the big things about life is we all operate a lot on stereotypes and perhaps don't even realise uh, to the extent to which we rely on stereotypes. And to my shame, I'm, I'm probably no different in terms of my first impressions of what I thought Canada and Canadians would be like. And what I can honestly say is I, I, it was an absolutely amazing year and I've, I've left some really good friends and colleagues behind. Um, and it was a year I didn't expect. So those stereotypes were pretty much blown away, literally getting off the plane. Uh, temperature got as low as minus 30, and you can see what I'm wearing today. I was just totally ill-equipped to start with, with the climate and the weather, let alone getting into the rest of the job I was expected to do. I'd come with a suitcase, got off a plane. Um, yeah, I didn't have all the equipment I needed to do the job, basically. <laughs> When you say you didn't have all the equipment you need, are you talking about the sort of the cultural understanding? I think so, yes. I, I think if, if at a superficial level you could say I, I packed a suitcase, there's a weight limit, uh, Air Canada are brilliant, but you still have baggage restrictions. 
So I went out there and did an Airbnb for the first month because I, I didn't know quite what to expect, where I was going to live. I'd never really been to Toronto before, although we had done a road trip uh, once 20 years early. But being a tourist is not the same as going out there to live, as what I've discovered. And I think really it's on the cultural level that, um, that there are differences. So for me, I would think in terms of the culture, the context of where we are in the country itself, those are the three general sort of compartments of issues I found in terms of going out there. Now, can, can, in terms of the, the culture, because we, we've uh, picked up on a few things. Uh, I, mean, it, I mean, I'm joking about it, but it's actually true. Breakfast is slightly different, yeah. I think, in Canada, the way it's approached. And I think it's, you know, I've worked overseas, I've worked in Switzerland, I've worked in Germany, I've worked across continental Europe, I speak two foreign languages. And I think, you know, when you're in a non-UK speaking language, English speaking language, you kind of assume it'll be different. When they speak English, they look and they look pretty similar to us. You, know, sort of, you kind of don't notice those little differences, but those little differences really matter in the linguistic differences. The fact that breakfast is different. You know, I, I was walking in and asking for things and people looking at me and going, what are you talking about, crazy guy? You know, you're asking, we don't know what you're talking about. So little linguistic differences about how they use words. So, you know, culturally, they, they're very multicultural, and again, I can't really say I went to Canada, I went to uh, a one mile square radius of Toronto, where I spent a lot of time and effort within clients' offices, working with them closely. I did travel around the greater Toronto area and went out and saw the railway, but Canada, Canada's a vast country, so I was very reliant to some extent on being part of the group of people I was working with, listening to them, telling me about their lives, and how Toronto works, and also TV, what you pick up at the film festival and other things, because Toronto's got a very vibrant cultural life. So I learned about Inuits, I learned about different types of nations, the indigenous people, I met some of them, uh, and they will tell you stories about their lives and their history, of which they're very proud. So these are things that are quite different from our lives in the UK. So I'd say they're multicultural in their own context, Geographically, they're at a crossroads between the east and the west and the south. So you're in amongst people who are Chinese. There's a lot of immigration from Asia. Uh, and I met and worked with some of those people. Um, I was working with Americans. I was working with people from Europe. I was working with people from Network Rail. So um, all sorts of all shapes and sizes of people all mixing in together in a, in a, in a, in a world that is very... Uh, similar in many ways, very collaborative and very open. So they don't they leave their differences at the door to some extent, and they work very closely together. There are some issues, and so it wasn't all perfect. But uh, I suppose one of the other surprises you you look at the currency and you find the queen's head on the coin, and 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 you think, well, that's strange. You know, I, I've come three and a half thousand miles, and I'm staring at a picture of the queen. So how does that work, and what does it mean? <laughs> Not just that, they have a day off to celebrate the birthday and things but, like that, don't they? Yeah, yeah Victoria. It's easy to celebrate yeah. more. Victoria, birthday. Yeah. So but, I mean, that yeah. cultural bit, as you say, the um, the the openness does seem to um, provide that uh, willingness to collaborate maybe more than some areas over here. I mean, it's a shame that they don't quite, you know, a bit like us in the UK, they don't procure and project manage to embrace their natural culture, to, to share and be open. Yeah, and I think you need to differentiate between the culture and the people, and perhaps they're more the technical, the procurement methods, and their evolution in terms of uh, how they're used to managing major programs. Because I think 
you know, I, if, I don't want to do anyone a disservice. Maybe they would say themselves that they're on a journey in terms of their procurement and evolution. They've done big programs. They have very good universities. They're training the caliber of their staff up to a high level. But if they haven't experienced some of the problems, and that's why they need people like us to help, is that they're looking for that expertise and experience, maybe not to have to learn the lessons of the past, but to benefit from that experience. That was one of the things that... Uh amazed me when we first started looking at the Canadian market, which was not this year, last April, May, June. You know, when I made my first trip to Toronto for 37 years, which was in June last year, I, I did the sensible thing and looked up who do I know out of my first degree connections on LinkedIn who are working already in Toronto. Mm. And I was astounded that I very quickly found eight people who'd either worked for me in the past or had been part of client organisations that we'd worked for quite recently, yes. then left and moved over there. And I was amazed. So I, I met up with all of those people the first time I went because they had been attracted there. Because as I said right at the start of the podcast, you know, my background, certainly in my 40s, uh, and late 30s was in the rail industry in the UK and all of these people, that was the common thread as to why they were now, or mm -hmm. now found themselves in Toronto, which is why you were there, is that there is a great demand for expertise around infrastructure, working around live railways, major programs, the sort of stuff that we've learnt uh, over the past 20, 30 years in the UK where we've been upgrading our Victorian railroads, extending the underground in London and such like, those skills are massively in demand because these huge investment programs. Yeah, so one of the, I think the biggest pleasures I got working out there was I was working with a group of people who had a high level of expertise, good level of training and a thirst for learning and the willingness on their part to actually absorb some of that knowledge and their desire to absorb what I knew. And as part of the role, I was expected to do some development sessions and to work with them. And of all the things I did, if you leave aside some of the projects and the technical stuff, actually the things that were most fun working with them was seeing how they wanted to do this. We ran a series of sessions, but then you know, I might come with a viewpoint, but actually they apply a Canadian perspective to it and take it in a different direction and take that knowledge, but then apply it in a way that suits the context for them. The railroad itself out there is different. You know, you've got Canadian National and Canadian Pacific, who are the two main railroad, freight railroad companies. These enormous concerns, very asset-intensive industries. They built the Canadian rail system and they still own a lot of the railway around Toronto. So they're very much partnership and collaboration in terms of working with those groups in terms of building and enhancing the rail network that we needed to do because this was a shared rail network operating with the freight companies. So a reasonable amount of my time was spent talking to them about how their rail systems work, what their needs were, what our growing needs were as a, as a commuter rail system, looking to double and treble its growth and expansion over a 10 year period, and how we were going to make that work on a rail corridor which is being shared between users with different sets of requirements and meeting all of those requirements. And also at a federal and a national level, this, these are projects of strategic significance to the city of Toronto, to the federal government and the provincial government. So working with all of those parties and local stakeholders, indigenous people and people who feel they have a stake in the land to actually um, make sure that we're respecting those requirements as well as just building a railway. 
Now that's interesting, but you've, you've, you've spoken about the context around uh, those key stakeholders. I'm comparing that with the UK, is it more or less, obviously it's different, is it more or less complex, are there, are there more sensitivities or less? I, I would say it's complex, and it's complex in the, con the context you're operating in. It's a different railway, so I think it would be, and I'm conscious of this, you know, think global but act local in terms of the way you behave. It's fine to have experience, but when you go there, the bit that I didn't have, I didn't understand where I was. I couldn't even get off the plane and work out what I was going to do next and, you know, did I have the right clothes? So listening and understanding was going to be a key skill at the outset to really understand where am I and how does this thing work before I start going and making suggestions as to what we might want to do. So I think, and the Canadians are very good at that. They're good listeners. They will tell you what they think. They're quite open people. They're not massively guarded in terms of what they'll tell you. If you ask them a straight question, they'll give you a straight answer and probably a bit more. Um, so it was very easy. I found it remarkably easy to get, get them to tell me what was on their mind and also what they thought were the things that were issues and things that needed to be addressed. Having understood that, you could then begin to apply the expertise that we've got to help them do something, but don't expect it to be British. And don't expect that you've got yeah, yeah, it would be ridiculous, but I think it's easy to make that mistake. So from uh, your, your experience of the last 12 months then, you would say that um, those softer skills were almost more important than the harder skills for you, especially in the early days, and that would be something key to someone who's thinking of moving away from the UK. Yes, I, I think it, it's probably it's true to say of anything that it's, it's, it's partly to do with what you bring technically, but it's equally important you can work with people and understand them. And when you're in that environment, particularly where you can be led easily into thinking they're the same as you because culturally they look and feel the same but actually the more you get into it it's those little differences that matter the fact that they use language in a different way the fact that the language I was using they found cute yeah. you know that was a bit yeah. so, so the kind of things you know words of different meanings you know to call somebody in a meeting hey you're cute in the UK that just feels wrong but in a Canadian culture that was actually quite amusing and okay it was normal because the language, the words mean different things but you interpret language in a different way yeah well we've had issues with the word scheme for instance yeah. it's quite a common word here yeah. it has negative connotations out yeah. there the use of Z's which are sneaking in over here for me which uh, confuses some people uh, but it's little things like you say isn't it that on the face of it you don't think mean anything but once you get to understand why and how and where yeah. uh, it can actually make a, a much bigger impact. So one of the conscious decisions I took privately was to try and assimilate some of the language into the way I was writing so I changed the way I would write emails so for example if I was writing to a Canadian I'd say we'll meet on October 4th if I was writing to an English person we'll meet on the 4th of October um, because of that kind of distance, I would reach out to my Canadian colleagues. I will never reach out to you, Tim. I'm just too British. We'll, we'll, we'll contact <laughs> each other and probably have a phone call or even a breakfast. But I'm definitely not reaching out in the UK because <laughs> it just doesn't feel right. But yet over there to say those kind of things feels perfectly fine. It's the right context. Yeah, it's, it's those differences in culture they, yeah. they sound small but they each of them add up don't they and it, it adds because what you're trying to do is make a connection you want them to kind of you want to simulate into what they do you don't want to stand apart and look different and okay yes i did because i insisted on wearing a suit and a tie and if anyone's listening from metrolinx i apologize for being very formal but i think on the other hand 
you know, we in the kind of roles we were doing, and especially coming in as an outsider, it was a mark of respect to the people there that you don't just sort of uh, necessarily take it as a given. I mean, that, uh, that whole thing around... Uh, I mean, one of the things I've noticed is Canadians take things literally. They do, yes. Uh, of course, I'm, uh, I'm one for not being totally literal the whole time. And you, you have to be very careful you don't offend somebody or confuse them. Uh, yeah, when when we, we, we would say we, we would be slightly ironic. Uh, the other party might actually take it absolutely. Yeah, and, and I think you do have to be careful with that. Uh, that it's very easy to confuse, not just in the language. It was easy to confuse in terms of your mannerisms or in irony, uh, which is a distinctly British thing. It's self-deprecatory and all that. It doesn't travel. Uh, Humour doesn't travel in the same way. We know that. Um, but I think my my kind of takeaways from my time and what did I learn in a single year is that I was I feel very fortunate I was thrown into an engaging culture very intelligent city dwelling population it's very diverse because you go out of out of Toronto and you're into uh, different landscapes different nationalities Italian Greek uh, different areas are all there Poles a lot of Polish people um, we. Uh, we went to Montreal, so you've got the federal nation, the way the company, the, the country's run in terms of provincial allows for cultural tolerance between French-speaking uh, indigenous peoples, between uh, English-speaking, between East and West from Vancouver, quite across. There's a lot of diversity. I think if everything was homogenous over there, it would be very difficult to hold that culture together. And I'm not trying to make a political point, but clearly the way they've set themselves up is is positive in terms of allowing these differences to happen and therefore it also appears in their work. They have a high standard of living, uh, there's a lot of opportunity to enjoy culture outdoors. I was fortunate to join a professional choir, I met a lot of people, I sung in several big performances in Toronto. Uh, a close friend of mine now, his wife um, wrote a book called Chop Suey Nation which is all about uh, the history of Chinese people coming to uh, China. It's well worth reading as a book. Uh, it's uh, she's one of the up-and-coming authors in, in uh, Toronto and certainly in uh, Canada right now. Um, and, but what was interesting about reading that was about realising how people had come from other places and had to assimilate in a culture from which they didn't originate and also had to overcome challenges in doing so. That's the thing that strikes me, that when I speak to uh, clients and the sort of influences that we deal with in Toronto, lots of people describe it as a developing nation. Now, it look, when you arrive, it doesn't look like a developing nation in Toronto in the sense that we would think of it. But of course it is, because it's got such massive potential, hasn't it? Because it's got half the population of the UK in a landmass the size of Europe. Lots of natural resources, it's, Yes, yeah. they've got the right language. It's they've got some, you know, good. It's a stable politically. The the economy is good. The legal system we understand. It's all of that sort of stuff. It's it's got. It's the, I think it's the land of opportunity. I think I think there is opportunity there. I think there are also challenges. You know, I was there. There were teachers' strikes. There are issues uh, in terms of where the money is spent. My hope, I think. Is, is growing rapidly, they're investing a lot in terms of building condos and attracting people downtown. They're going to need infrastructure, that, and I, they know that. 
um, and continuing to invest and have the persistence of investment because I'm sure there are going to be roadblocks and challenges and things won't always go right because that's the nature of major infrastructure but having the commitment to stick with it I'd hope that people like myself going out there because there are other people like me going and helping that we can genuinely do things that are helpful for them and certainly the feedback I got from the people I was working with was positive so you know I, I take a certain sense of pride in that and uh, and I hope that they, they will be able to build further because there is a lot of opportunity, but there's also a hell of a lot to do. And this is a nation on the run. They're going places and they're going pretty fast. Mm. And, and the, the level of ambition out there is, is I think, the, uh, That's the greatest thing. They, there is an ambition that right now, coming back to the UK, feels absent here. I have to say, the ambition comes across in spades. Now, it's not just about growth, it's about developing the industry. So we're obviously we're more focused on the delivery side with their client base is predominantly contractors and engineers. And their eagerness to improve their businesses and move them to the next level because they know that there's these massive challenges uh, ahead, which are positive challenges because there's masses to do and there's yeah, and I think they're also, they're, they are a young nation, they're also a nation that's surrounded by very big neighbours in America and in China, so they know that they need to keep moving to grow, because grow means they're going to survive. Um, and I think there's a strong sense of national pride, they take pride in being yeah. Canadian, yeah. And, and from what I've seen in the last year, so they should. And if, so if you were so looking at it the other way, what for you would be the one takeaway, so say you've got a similar role in a a TFL or a major contractor delivering infrastructure over here, what's the one thing that you think at 12 months over there you can bring here to improve what we do? Yeah, I, I think for me it was one I didn't really expect. I think it was around the people and, and maybe one of the biggest lessons I learned was actually the collaboration, um, that actually this is a group of people who do genuinely collaborate and therefore what you can do through genuine collaboration and actually what it meant for me, because maybe I, you talk about collaboration, but actually having to do it and doing it well and seeing the outcomes of that makes me more convinced than I was when I left. It feels the right thing to do in large infrastructure where these are large, large endeavours with large groups of people needing to work close together, manage disputes, manage disagreements, but always from a position of respect. And the Canadians instinctively get that. So I, I took away a feeling of actually I had a lot to learn in terms of how do I manage my behaviour to make that possible. Because at times in an Anglo-Saxon way we want to bang the table and, and sort of say well okay we're collaborative but do what I say. And, and that's actually quite different. Well Richard, it's been, it's been tremendous seeing those insights from your own experiences of working from a client side type role in Toronto, a very important role. And it's been great that you could come in today and oh, share that with us and our viewers. So, uh, thank you again. So, to our viewers, I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Uh, we'll be back in probably a couple of weeks. And uh, it's goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. And thank you very much, Tim. Thank you. Want to learn more about how Invent can help your business maximize its bottom line? Head on over to www.invent.com and get in touch with our team today. Thanks for joining us this week on the Construction Big Breakfast. Make sure to visit our website, www.invent.com, where you can subscribe to the Construction Big Breakfast on all platforms so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a positive rating. Or if you'd simply share it with a friend, that would help us out too.
Be sure to tune in for our next episode.